0: Gracious God, open our hearts and open our minds and open our wills that we might receive what you've prepared for us this day. And draw us close to you that we might become more the people you have created us to be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Will you please be seated. It has been said that the Roman Catholic Church is a Good Friday church. It emphasizes the suffering of Jesus, the physical price that he paid on our behalf. That the overall ethos of that expression of the church is of penitence and contrition. And it's been said that the Orthodox church is an Easter Sunday church. It emphasizes the path that Christ made possible for us when in his rising, he took our humanity into the Godhead that the overall ethos of that expression of the church is our deification, living further and further into our union with God. And then it is said that the Anglican church is a Christmas day church, that we find our understanding of God and our relationship with God in the incarnation. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to accept that as our identity. So much is revealed about God and God's relationship with humanity and God's intention for us in the incarnation. First, the incarnation, God's assumption of our humanity tells us that humanity is good. From the very beginning in creation, God declared humanity not just good, but very good. And more than that, God said, let us make humankind in our own image, according to our likeness. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We Anglicans tend to easily accept this elevated regard for humanity. We agree with the Psalmist who says, you have made us a little lower than the angels. You adorn us with glory and honor. This is a very different understanding than some of our Christian brothers and sisters. The Reformed tradition holds to the total depravity of humankind, that since the fall, we have no capacity within ourselves to choose the good or to choose God. And while we can debate provenient grace and other theologies, the incarnation slices right through this discussion. If humanity is inherently totally depraved, how could a good sinless God become one of us? It would be totally incompatible with God's goodness to take into his person corruption. We are good. We are the very locus of God's entry into the world and the venue through which God enacts the salvation of the world. Second, the incarnation tells us that our embodied lives matter. Our ordinary, mundane, earthly existence is not shunned by God, but embraced. More than this, God taking on human flesh tells us that our bodily existence matters relationally. In Jesus, God comes to share in the breadth of our human condition, our joy, our pain, our loss, our love, our sickness, and even our death. God dwells with us in the midst of our sorrows and our suffering and our brokenness. And we encounter God in the fleshy details of our lives, when we care for our children or our parents, when we carry out the responsibilities of our jobs, when we engage folks in the community, as we drive, as we shop, as we work for the common good. In taking on flesh, God declares his solidarity with us. If God can be born in a smelly, crowded, noisy barn, then God can be born anywhere. He can be born in me, and he can be born in you. Third, the incarnation tells us that God moves towards us. You know, when we tend to engage our faith, thinking that we have to move from where we are to where God is. When we talk about growing spiritually, praying more, studying scripture, our image for this is growing towards God, moving towards God the incarnation tells us that God comes to us. He makes the move to reconcile us to him so that there might be no space between us, so that we might be assured that we are beloved to him. God overcomes the gap between us from God's side. In this, we see how deeply God desires to be in relationship with us. This truth should cause us to feel loved and safe and wanted. And God comes to us not once, but over and over again. We are to have eyes that see God incarnate all around us for he is here. Finally, the incarnation assures us that in the sacrificial work of Jesus, we are redeemed. Jesus didn't come simply to set a good example for us to follow, he came to rescue us. And it seems that he could only do that by living with us and dying for us. In the early church, there was a lot of debate about how much like us Jesus was. Was he fully human except for having a divine mind? Was he fully human except for having a divine will? These issues were debated at the church councils over years and chunks of the church left over them. The church wanting to give up nothing of the fullness of Christ's humanity and the fullness of his divinity came up with this beautiful definition of the nature of Christ. Christ is one person in two natures, divine and human, uniting the two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. It was important that the church keep insisting that Jesus be fully human. Because as Athanasius, one of our early church fathers famously said, what has not been assumed has not been redeemed. Jesus had to become all of us if he was going to save all of us. And so all of who we are is redeemed in Christ. In Jesus, we get a definitive glimpse of God. Before the incarnation, we tried as best we could to know God's will for us, to understand what was important to God, to live in ways that God desired. But we always struggled as if we could only see through a mirror darkly. But in Jesus, God is revealed. God puts skin on the divine attribute so that we can see the life of faith that he desires for us. And this definitive glimpse of God informs how we read and live into Holy Scripture. If Jesus is the definitive revelation of God, then our understanding of Scripture must be consistent with that revelation. We don't hold that there is a previous wrathful judging God of the Old Testament and a new gracious and forgiving God of the New Testament. God's character hasn't changed over the arc of scripture. Our understanding of God has expanded. It might be that we in our creatureliness misunderstood God It might be that we created stories to explain our own desires and actions in ways that claim God's sanction. As Christians, it is appropriate that we read scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ. If actions and motivations and intentions attributed to God in scripture are inconsistent with the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, then we are called to revisit our understanding of those stories. And so we Anglicans are proudly and gratefully a people of the incarnation. We know that we are created good. We trust that by becoming one of us, God shows us that we are beloved to him. We relate to a God who has chosen to take on all that comprises our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. We are grateful that God makes the move toward us to repair our relationship instead of waiting for us to figure it out and get it right. And we are assured that in Jesus' faithful obedience, messy, imperfect humanity is made right with God. In his death, in his resurrection, and in his ascension into the Godhead, Jesus has redeemed our lives. Ours is a faith that holds that God so loved the world that God became one of us to live our lives, to suffer our death, and to be raised to our resurrection. We are incarnation people. Thanks be to God. Amen.